MSW Media. Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Today, Chief Judge Beryl Howell allows the sexual assault lawsuit against Matt Schlapp to go forward with a pseudonym. The spouse of Chief Justice John Roberts made millions of dollars recruiting lawyers who would have had business before the Supreme Court. The FBI has searched Joe Biden's Rehoboth home and found no classified documents. And Marine Corps veteran Daniel Caldwell has been sentenced to 68 months in prison for his role in the attack on the Capitol. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how's it going? Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. We got some good feedback for our lady tea joke. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like lady tea? (laughs) I couldn't stop. I laughed like the whole rest of the night on that one. So I appreciate you, my friend. Now's all giggly too. Uh, what's very cool is today I'll be talking with, uh, he he represents the 14th Congressional District in California, Rep. Eric Swalwell will be on the show. Yes. And I got him to uh, say a swear word. So yay. And also, this is interesting. This is not part of the hot notes, but I couldn't not read this. This is some dripping sarcasm in a minute order from Judge Amit Mehta. He's responding to the Oath Keepers Council motion about how they want to delay the trial because they only have one table in the courtroom for the defense and it's not big enough. And so therefore they need to delay the Oath Keepers trial. Well, here's here's what Judge Meadow wrote in a minute order. Denying as moot motion to cure right to counsel and due process violations. The court has thoroughly searched the United States Constitution and over two centuries of reported decisions to identify a defendant's fundamental right to more space in the courtroom. (laughs) It has not found one. Surely the capable defense counsel that are before the court can provide constitutionally adequate assistance with the single table setup, but perhaps not. In any event, the court has configured the courtroom to now have two tables for defense counsel and defendants. This will ensure that there is one, not an appearance of visual phone booth. Number two, a perfect storm that causes an unnecessary battle for space. Number three, a disparity in treatment from the government so that both sides will have ample, quote, room to roam. And number four, an impression of a junior varsity team of defense counsel who are not worthy (laughs) or capable of sitting at the table with a client, unquote. By adding a second table, hopefully the court has avoided a serious constitutional error. Signed by Judge Amit P. Mehta on January. I mean, so good. Holy shit. I'm sure Judge Mehta enjoyed, very much enjoyed writing that. Yeah. And I think my favorite part is we thoroughly searched the Constitution and over two centuries of decisions to identify a defendant's (laughs) fundamental right to more space in a courtroom. It has not found one. (laughs) 
It's just brilliant. Couldn't find it. But you know what? We're going to give you a second table anyway, so you don't look like a junior varsity defense counsel, not worth, not worthy or capable of sitting with your client. Oh my God, just fucking bananas. All right. So I, I had to share that. That's the coolest minute order I've ever read in my history of following the court. So thank you for that. It was definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Judge Meta. All right. Well, we're going to do the, the rest of the news now. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, Chief Judge Beryl Howell is letting the lawsuit against Matt Schlapp. That's the guy who runs CPAC. Letting this lawsuit go forward anonymously, according to a court order today. The Herschel Walker staffer that is suing Matt Schlapp for groping him in a car after an event filed a motion to continue the suit using a John Doe pseudonym, and Judge Howell has granted that motion. In a related story, the Republican staffer who accused conservative stalwart Matt Schlapp of sexual assault and filed the lawsuit against him for nearly $10 million, has filed a new separate lawsuit against another top Republican operative alleging defamation. This is Caroline Wren, who most recently ran Harmeet Dillon's campaign for RNC chair and Carrie Lake's run for governor. So uh, he's suing Caroline Wren Tuesday in D.C.'s federal district court, according to a complaint obtained by Politico. A fundraiser who also helped organize the former guy's Stop the Steal rally on January 6th, Caroline Wren is a close ally of Matt Schlapp and his wife Mercedes, a former Trump White House staffer. In his lawsuit, the plaintiff alleges that Wren defamed him while attempting to defend the Schlapps from his sexual assault allegation. Among other things, the suit accuses Wren of using the plaintiff's name in tweets and saying he was fired from multiple jobs for lying and unethical behavior and for being a habitual liar. An attorney for the plaintiff on January 12th sent Wren a letter demanding a retraction of the statement she had made about the plaintiff on Twitter. That's according to the complaint. But Wren, quote, continued to maliciously post statements about Mr. Doe. While the plaintiff has been terminated from multiple jobs, including from one last week, his attorney states in the filing that the plaintiff has not lost jobs because he was a liar or unethical. Wren's tweets, quote, have placed Mr. Doe into contempt, ridicule and disgrace within the community. That's what the complaint states. The plaintiff is seeking more than $500,000 in damages from Caroline Wren, and Wren did not immediately respond to a request for comment. All right. Thank you, AG, for kicking off the hot notes with that story. And we're moving on to the FBI because they have completed a search of Joe Biden's Rehoboth Beach, Delaware home on Wednesday and found how many documents this time? Mm. None. Okay, good. Wait, no documents with classified markings. And that's according to Biden's personal lawyer. <laughs> Bob Bauer, Biden's attorney, said the FBI did take with them handwritten notes and some materials for further review. The search took three and a half hours. And this is a quote. The DOJ's planned search of the Biden's Rehoboth residence conducted in coordination and cooperation with the president's attorneys has concluded. And that was from Bauer. He added the search occurred from 830 in the morning until noon. Now, no documents with classified markings were found. And that, again, is from the lawyer. Bauer said that like last month's search of Biden's home in Willington, Delaware, agents, quote, took for further review some materials and handwritten notes that appear to relate to his time as vice president. Well, the search of Biden's second Delaware residence was expected, but nonetheless amounted to another indication that the investigation into the president's handling of classified material is going to continue dogging the White House, unfortunately, for the coming weeks and months. Biden and his team have consistently said there has been no wrongdoing when it comes to his handling of classified material. And the president insisted last month there is no there there. Now, Bauer confirmed earlier in the morning that investigators were searching the home and the search was planned and had the, quote, full support and cooperation of Biden. And this is from his lawyer. 
He went on to say, under DOJ standard procedures, in the interest of operational security and integrity, it sought to do this work without advance public notice, and we agree to cooperate. Bauer said, and he went on to say, the search today is a further step in a thorough and timely DOJ process we will continue to fully support and facilitate. Now, none of the searches, including Wednesdays in Rehoboth, required a warrant. Why? Because Biden's cooperating, (laughs) and that's according to people familiar with the matter. Biden's team has stressed that they are cooperating with the Justice Department as its probe of the documents matter proceeds. Yeah. And, you know, for people who say that, you know, this is a dogging Biden and the White House for the coming weeks and months, that's because you, the press, are dogging Biden and the White House for the coming weeks and yeah. months. There's nothing to this. Uh, yes. And and by the way, to the MAGA trolls accusing Biden of destroying or hiding the documents, I've seen this a little bit. Oh, he had two months to destroy that shit. Uh, I just want to remind you, we actually have video evidence and witness testimony that Trump hid the documents and moved them after the search warrant that was executed on his home. So uh, we also have taped up documents from the National Archives. So, yeah, I just want to projection, projection, projection. Just want to point that out. And from Steve Ader at The Times, after Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. joined SCOTUS, his wife, Jane Roberts, of course, it's John and Jane, gave up her career as a law firm partner to become a high-end legal recruiter in an effort to alleviate potential conflicts of interest. Mrs. Roberts later recalled in an interview that her husband's job made it awkward to practice law in the firm. Now, a former colleague of Mrs. Roberts has raised concerns that her recruiting work poses potential ethics issues for the chief justice. Seeking an inquiry, that ex-colleague has provided records to the Justice Department and Congress indicating that Robert's wife had been paid millions of dollars in commissions for placing lawyers at firms, some of which have business before the Supreme Court. That's according to a letter obtained by The Times. In the letter last month, Kendall Price, a 66-year-old Boston lawyer, argued that the justices should be required to disclose more information about their spouse's work. He did not cite specific spouses or specific Supreme Court decisions, but said he was worried that the financial relationship with law firms arguing before the court could affect the justice's impartiality or at least give the appearance of doing so. Ah, yeah, I would agree. (laughs) Quote, I do believe that litigants in U.S. courts and especially the Supreme Court deserve to know if their judges' households are receiving six-figure payments from law firms. Senator Dick Durbin, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, did not address how the committee would respond to Price and his letter, but said in a statement, that the letter raised troubling issues that once again demonstrate the need for ethics reforms to begin the process of restoring faith in the Supreme Court. A new poll today, Dana, shows their approval rating is 7%. Wow. More people think chocolate milk comes from brown cows than like the Supreme Court. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mr. Price and Mrs. Roberts both had worked as legal recruiters for Major Lindsay in Africa, which is a global firm based in Maryland. According to the letter, Kendall Price was fired in 2013 and sued the firm, as well as Mrs. Roberts and another executive over his firing. He lost that case, but the litigation produced documents that he sent to Congress and the Justice Department, including spreadsheets showing commissions attributed to Roberts' wife early in her headhunting career from 2007 to 2014. Mrs. Roberts, according to a 2015 deposition, said that a significant portion of her practice was devoted to helping senior government lawyers land jobs at law firms and that the candidates' names were almost never disclosed. I keep my placements confidential, she said in a deposition. Mrs. Roberts, now the managing partner of the Washington office of McRae, Inc., 
has spent two decades at the law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman, where she became a part. Hee hee. It's got the Pillsbury guy in there where she became <laughs> where she became a partner in the global technology group and also focused on talent development. In Ot seven, she changed careers and soon ascended the ranks of her new industry. Partners at leading law firms in Washington, on average, make well over a million bucks a year. At the high end, they can be paid over seven million. Recruiting firms take a large cut mm-hmm, commission for those placements, often equivalent to a quarter of their first year salary. The spreadsheet lists six figure fees credited to Mrs. Roberts for placing partners at firms, including six hundred ninety thousand dollars in twenty twelve alone for one match. The documents do not name the clients, but Mr. Price recalled her recruitment of one prominent candidate, Ken Salazar, then Interior Secretary under Obama, to Wilmer Hale, a global firm that boasts of arguing more than 125 times before SCOTUS. Only half dozen of the people she recruited have been publicly identified, according to news reports. They are Robert Bennett, former lawyer to Bill Clinton, recruited to Hogan Lovells in 2009, Neil McBride, former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, to Davis Polk in 2013, Mr. Salazar to Wilmer Hale in 2013, Brendan Johnson and Timothy Purden, former U.S. attorneys for South Dakota and North Dakota, to Robbins Kaplan, and that was in 2015, and Michael Held, former lawyer for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, to Wilmer Hale in 2022. Salazar is now the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, and McBride is general counsel at the Treasury. About two years ago, Mrs. Roberts discussed her Washington office's work in one key sector, saying in an interview, that one of the nation's 50 leading law firms, more than half of them, more than half of them asked us for help in growing their antitrust practices. Thank you so much, A.G. And I don't mean to do any spoiler alerts here for the believers out there, but exactly how many people think chocolate milk comes from brown cows? <laughs> I think it's like 12%. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, okay. Might be higher. I hope that they polled people under six. <laughs> because that would be acceptable. <laughs> that would be adorable. That'd be fucking adorable. Wouldn't it? I do think they should pull children. Yeah. Well, It'd be left. Yep. Chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, no segue here. We're just going to January 6th. <laughs> One of the defendants who sprayed a chemical irritant. Was it bear spray? Is that what we had concluded at one point? Well, we don't know if this is the bear spray guy or if it's a pepper spray guy. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Well, one of the January 6th defendants who sprayed a chemical irritant at about 15 police officers later bragged about it in a video interview was sentenced Wednesday to 68 months in prison. This is one of the stiffest January 6th sentences handed down to date. Daniel Caldwell is a 51-year-old Marine Corps veteran. He delivered a tearful apology in court to the officers he sprayed, expressing remorse for his actions that day and pleading with U.S. District Judge Colleen Kohler Cotelli, probably, for mercy. But Cotelli repeatedly described Caldwell as an insurrectionist and noted that his deployment of chemical spray at officers created such an intense cloud that it nearly broke the depleted police line by itself. Now, though no officers directly attributed their injuries that day to Caldwell's actions, Kohler Cotelli said his actions undoubtedly contributed to their physical and psychological trauma. And this is a quote, you're entitled to your political views, but not in an insurrection, the judge said. You were an insurrectionist. Caldwell has remained in pretrial custody since February 10th of 2021. That's 721 days, he noted, and was one of the earliest charged with a direct assault on police that day. But Caldwell's hearing was most notable for the extensive expression of remorse delivered almost entirely through tears to a nearly empty courtroom. And this is a quote, I must face my actions head on, he said, before delivering a voluminous apology to the officers he attacked. 
I hope that you and our country never have to face another day like January 6th. Caldwell said he spent the days immediately after the attack rationalizing what he did and looking for validation from family, friends, and his attorney. He said he now looks back at his actions and it literally floors me. He described himself as ashamed, embarrassed about his conduct and described efforts to better himself while in custody, reading self-help books and reflecting on how he became a catalyst of violence that day. And this is what he said. I clearly let my emotions take control. Being a Marine, I should have known better. I wish I could take it back, but I can't. As a sister, one of the daughters and her husband looked on. Caldwell lamented that he'd likely missed the birth of his first grandchild while incarcerated and was unable to repair a broken relationship with his biological mother, who passed away while he was in pretrial incarceration. He expressed regret that he'd miss his middle child's military deployment and would be unable to be there for his aging father, who was battling cancer. His youngest son told family members that he felt like his dad died. Caldwell recalled. Caldwell's wife, now the sole provider for the household, was struggling to get by. Knowing their pain is crushing my heart, he continued to say, I have paid a high price and I accept that I still have to pay more. Now, caller Catelli said she appreciated his statement of apology to the officers, but as a Marine, he should have directed his apology to the entire country. Yeah, I knew you would feel that line, A.G., Mm. She described in detail his attack on officers, noting that one officer who he sprayed began to vomit uncontrollably. The air was so thick with chemicals that it wasn't clear whether the officers he hit were injured by him directly or by a combination of factors. No victims delivered statements to the court ahead of sentencing. And Catelli also put his involvement in the broader January 6th attack in context of previous challenges to the United States government. She said it was crucial for her sentence to, quote, fortify against the revolutionary fervor that you and others felt on January 6th and may still feel today. Insurrection is not, she said, and cannot ever be warranted. How many lives have been destroyed? You know? Yeah. Countless. Yeah. All right. That's, ooh, That, that, that Marine thing, apology to the whole country really got me. I know it did. I can I can always tell when you're hit and affected by something, and rightfully so. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. We'll be right back, everybody, with Congressman Eric Swalwell, uh, which is a very cool interview. You're going to love it. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and I take AG, AG1 by Athletic Greens every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a boosted immune system, and I didn't like taking a small pile of pills and vitamins. I had a cabinet full. I had an arsenal of supplements and it was expensive and unwieldy. I take AG1 first thing in the morning, even before my first cup of coffee, before the gym. It makes me feel unstoppable. I love it. It's the easiest habit ever. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. Right now, they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. AG1 is my favorite habit. It's easy, fits seamlessly into my day, saves me time, saves me money, and makes my life easier. It's just one delicious scoop in the morning. And AG1 makes it easier for me to take high-quality supplements, period. Just one daily serving covers my entire day's nutritional basis and supports my long-term gut health with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients. It has it all. It replaces my daily multivitamin, my minerals, my probiotics for my gut health, adaptogens, and greens. What a great bang for my buck, seriously. Literally just one scoop of powder. It's delicious. So if you're looking for a simpler, more cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. That's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Honored to be joined today 
by the man who represents the people of California's 14th District, Congressman Eric Swalwell. Hi, Mr. Swalwell. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. I'm honored to speak to you. And I really wanted to give you this opportunity to, to talk to me and put to bed what you called in a recent interview the Bakersfield bullshit with regards to Kevin McCarthy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Your removal from the Intelligence Committee, which is absolutely just a, a retaliatory petty move, especially in the face of George Santos being assigned committees. Now, I mean, he stepped down, apparently, yeah. of his own volition. But uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, what is Bakersfield bullshit? Well, Bakersfield bullshit is when two prior Republican speakers, friends, allies of Kevin McCarthy, appoint me and reappoint me to the House Intelligence Committee. And then Kevin McCarthy, uh, years later, you know, many, many, almost a decade later, uh, wants to go back in time and, uh, you know, heat up some leftovers to try and put a case on me. Uh, that's Bakersfield bullshit. Uh, and it's clear that, you know, those two prior speakers uh, had no issue with me. Uh, and Kevin McCarthy's issue is that I and Adam Schiff uh, have been, you know, quite vocal about Trumpism uh, and what it's doing to our country and, and also quite vocal about uh, Speaker McCarthy. And he being a vessel state of the MAGA nation. Uh, and, and so, yes, does he have the power to throw us off the Intel Committee? Sure. Uh, does it make it right? No. And, uh, you know, are we going to be silenced by it? Absolutely not. So I still remain on the Judiciary Committee. I'm on the Homeland Security Committee. And, and you know, I've got a little more free time now. And I, I promise you, uh, I, as, as much as I'd like to, you know, put that free time elsewhere, I think some of the best ways I can use it is to start uh, our path, you know, to the majority uh, in the next, uh, you know, House election. Yeah. And let's talk about uh, Homeland Security Committee and some of the hypocrisy here, because now we have a 9-11 denier in Marjorie Taylor Greene on that very same committee, which was formed in the wake of 9-11. Can you talk a little bit about these, This, you know, not just I want to address the hypocrisy, but also that we have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene on committees like this. I mean, it's like putting a dingo in charge of a baby, as I would say. <laughs> and and then we have George Santos, who can't tell the truth about any, if that is his real name, uh, which I don't think it is, honestly, appointed to some of these committees. And further, do you think that it was actually George Santos's idea to step down from these committees? Because it doesn't feel like it to me. Well, starting with the Homeland Security Committee, yes, you have a 9-11 truther uh, which is really a 9-11 denier in Marjorie Taylor Greene on the committee. She also rooted on the rioters. Uh, you know, she uh, incited them in, in many ways in her rhetoric leading up to January 6th, rooted them on, you know, on the 6th. And then uh, in the days and years to follow, uh, while we would honor Capitol and Metropolitan police officers uh, who were injured that day and, and lost their lives, uh, she honors those who were responsible for the violence by going to the D.C. jail in solidarity with them. And, and so now, you know, she is on a committee, the, a committee that is charged with, you know, protecting the country, protecting the capital. Uh, and, and yes, on George Santos, look, it, it's clear to me that um, Kevin McCarthy is unwilling uh, to remove, you know, George Santos from Congress. And, and this is someone who has perpetrated the greatest fraud that has ever been perpetrated on a congressional district. You know, we've, we've never seen somebody uh, who has completely invented 
a persona, a name, a background, even you know the backgrounds of his so-called ancestors, all of it completely made up. And McCarthy, uh, again, because he has struck this corrupt bargain with his narrow majority to be speaker, will not do what's right for the country or right for those you know poor voters who are desperate for a representative. He's going to keep uh, Santos, uh, you know, in Congress. And and so, you know, whether it was McCarthy, I don't believe it was McCarthy who removed him. I actually think Santos uh, recognized as we lurch toward this vote to remove Ilhan Omar, uh, that he wants to vote to do that, uh, but he cannot vote, you know, take that vote uh, if he's still on committees, because uh, we would probably offer a vote, uh, an amendment, to throw him up off his committee. So I, I think he's doing it before we're able to do it. And we probably have the votes, uh, you know, to do it uh, if we were to amend it. So I think he's just avoiding, you know, what rightfully should happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's that's a very good point. And finally, before I let you go, I know you're very busy. Just about the 118th Congress in general, a huge majority of Americans don't think that some of these investigations like Jim Jordan's subcommittee on investigating the oranges of the investigation of another investigation. I'm not sure exactly what they're tasked with. And some of these Hunter Biden things, a huge majority of Americans think that this is a total waste of time. And I'm a little torn between just the mockery of the institution of the House of Representatives versus letting them go with their, you know, ridiculous investigations yeah. because it's going to hurt them in 2024. What are, what are you, how, where should I sit on that? Because it, like, like I said, I'm, I'm very upset about the mockery of the institution, but also like, Hey, go for it. If you want to wreck yourselves. Yeah. You're, and, and they're showing themselves, you know, to the American people, if there was ever any doubt and, and extremism was rejected uh, in the midterms. Uh, you know, they narrowly eked out a majority on the promise that they would focus on the cost of gas and groceries, which, by the way, is coming down. And then the Fed chair today even, uh, you know, acknowledged that, you know, we're taking inflation in the right direction. Uh, they promised that they would address, you know, rising violent crime in some of America's cities, which is important and we should focus on. Uh, they promised that they would address, you know, the humanitarian issues at our border, which, of course, like if mothers and babies are presenting at the border, uh, you know, we all should have an interest in finding a way to help uh, and address and make sure we have security. That's not at all what they're doing. And instead, you know, they're obsessing over, you know, every uh, megabyte of Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, they are investigating, you know, Joe Biden while conveniently having, you know, amnesia about, you know, Donald Trump's mishandling of classified information, his uh, financial benefit uh, that he enjoyed from being president, whether it was for himself, his hotels, his family. And, and so this is not at all what the American people want. So our job, I believe, I, I call it a 3D approach. Uh, so first, discredit. So as Jim Jordan goes into a hearing, make sure he starts off completely discredited uh, as a election denier, as a uh, you know subpoena obstructor, uh, as the author of, you know, Kanye, Elon, Trump, mm. uh, that famous uh, evergreen tweet. Uh, so discredit. Second, uh, debunk. So any myth they want to tell about the Biden administration, uh, make sure we debunk it so the American people know the truth. Uh, and then third, deliver. Uh, make sure the American people know what we delivered with two years in the majority and what we will deliver, uh, you know, will be delivered uh, when we go back into the majority. So I think that that 3D approach 
uh, will you know kind of keep them on their heels and then show Americans uh, what the difference is between competence, what we had in the majority, and chaos, uh, what they'll continue to bring. Well, Congressman, I promise I'll do my part to help discredit and debunk. <laughs> and I know you'll do your part to help deliver. So teamwork. There you go. Deal. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Of course. Thanks for all you're doing uh, to educate your listeners and, and keep people inspired uh, in this great experiment in democracy. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Everybody follow Eric Swalwell, both of his accounts on Twitter. You won't be sorry. And I appreciate your time today, Congressman. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play What the Mutt with us because we're champions now. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're champions now. You want to send lady tees or manatees to us, whatever you want to send in, uh, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, I'm going to kick us off with a submission from Anonymous. Quick correction. The manatee flipper in the picture was definitely a flipper and not an... Are we sure? And not an extension of its manateeness or penis, if you will. It had fingernails. Now, I, I'm relieved. <laughs> Very. I am also relieved and I'm I'm hesitant to go back and zoom in, but I'm going to uh, accept this correction and just because it'll help me sleep at night. Absolutely. All right. And then we have another quick correction from uh, Anonymous. She, her. Which I'm really happy about this correction. I just read it. So thank you, whoever you are, Anonymous. Yeah, this is awesome. Hello, beautiful sovereigns of the beans. I love that. Sovereigns of the beans. Dana said the Bible doesn't mention trans people at all, which is true if you're speaking about the Christian Bible. But I'd like to point out, however, the Talmud. The rabbis discuss eight genders, including, how do you, how do you say this one? Elanit Adam? Elanit Adam, identified female at birth, but later developing male characteristics through human intervention. And Saras Adam, identified male at birth and later developing female characteristics through human intervention, as well as non-binary folks and those whose characteristics change naturally after birth. None of these folks are considered bad or anything negative like that. Attached is my pet tax. It's a picture of Buddy the cat and his ongoing war with paper products. Thank you so much for this. And please know whenever I talk about the Bible, I always talk about the Christian Bible because that's what's used usually as a weapon against the community. So thank you so much for this, especially to know that there are books um, of faith out there that are affirming to many people in the community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. Yeah. And and they actually list the eight genders here in, in one of the photos. Oh, nice. Which, uh, our patrons will be able to see. And then look at this cat. Yeah, totally not guilty at all. Oh Thank my you, buddy. God. The cat. Ongoing war with paper products. Amazing. Is that a... What is that even? I think it was toilet paper. No. Tissue paper? Toilet Tissue paper? Tissue paper? Paper towels? I don't know. Maybe don't know. paper towels. I don't know, but a buddy lot. won. It was, buddy he won definitely that one. won. That was a lot. All right. <laughs> Uh, this is from Daniel Duncan. He, him. Oh, Daniel Duncan. I know. I love Daniel. Shout out to a loved one. The submission Dana read about welcoming churches immediately brought to mind a parasocial friend dear to my heart, who I think the Leguminati would appreciate. Callie Wright, 
Pronouns they, them, host the Queer Splitting podcast, formerly the Gaytheist Manifesto, which is a great fucking name, by the way, and just returned to the podcast game after a hiatus. They also joined the Philosophers in Space podcast to discuss ideas in sci-fi and convince everyone that Lower Decks is the best Star Trek. I've known Callie for a long time, received several of their amazing hugs at conventions pre-COVID. And was stoked that they'd come back to my ear holes. Their most recent queer splaining episode interviewed a trans mask priest about queer affirming theology. Being an atheist, I still don't get it, but it's not for me. It's for the folks that do believe, and hopefully it can make the world a nicer place. I am loving these submissions today. Me too. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Daniel Duncan. Next up, Emily, she, her. Good morning, lovely ladies. When you question how someone could take home the wrong cat, it immediately made me think of my father and our family mutt spooky. One trip, my dad returned a few days earlier than the rest of the family and picked, uh, he went to the kennel to pick up a noticeably larger male dog, still black and a lab mix. (laughs) His response was, I thought she had a bit more energy than spooky, who we traded out that same day. I appreciate you, ladies. Because of you, I'm weighing running for school board. Do it. Yes. Nice. Do it. Not sure if the news made national, but my son's school district has some truly awful board members who really need replacing. Because of how the district does board positions by zone, I can't run to replace Ivy Liu, who has been censured and refuses to resign. But damn it, she needs more opposition than she's getting. I'm also in a tough situation that my husband is apolitical but doesn't think the former guy has done anything illegal or at least not worse than anybody else and refuses to exit his AM radio echo chamber. There's so much more, but I'm tired and you ladies bring me hope. I want to raise my boys five and almost two to be better humans. What the mutt for tax are our two rescues, Bingo and Honey. Cute. Honey is a leggy blonde, a leggy blonde that we picked up because Bingo had too much energy and needed a playmate. She escapes our yard every chance she gets. So we're having an uh, to add to our fencing to keep her tethered when going outside, which totally ruins the whole, you go to run out your energy in our epic backyard. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, are they the same uh, breed? Right. No, I don't think they're the same. The one on the left definitely looks like there's pit in there. Yeah, there's pit. And pity. I would say some sort of an Aussie or border collie. Staffy, pity. I think, I think you're right on the Aussie. And then maybe a little of that Catahoula. Uh-huh. You know, that one one we always miss. And then chow chow. And then we've got a golden, looks like a golden retriever lab. I would think so. And maybe even some Australian shepherd or um, cattle dog in that one too with the spots. Aussie, yeah. All right, let's see what we got. We don't have any answers for either of them. Oh my God, why don't we scroll? (laughs) I'm sure bingo is a healer pity mix. There you go. There we we go. Yep, we we had those. Yep. Uh... Uh, which is why he's named Bluey. And we think Honey is part Pyrenees. Oh, well, you know, could be. Possibly, but we're definitely right on the other ones. <laughs> yeah, I think we're correct here. Oh my if you don't God. know, I'm going to go with our guesses. I love it. Thank you so much for that submission. Uh, and yeah, run. Run, Emily, run. Definitely do. All right, this is from Dwayne, pronounce he him. Hey, Beans Queens, it's your favorite Phoenix Uber driver. Still filling my passenger's ears with the beans, whether they like it or not. <laughs> My good news is I started a blog that's going to be a generational viewpoint of current events in politics. For now, it's my father, who's a silent boomer born in 1945, and me, 1967 Gen X, hope to be joined by a millennial friend who has a different view because he's also handicapped. The blog is named Esoteric Meandering, Sh- Meandering Shouting. That's really funny. Esoteric Meandering Shouting. <laughs> oh, Shouting Into the Void. There's more. Sorry. Esoteric Meandering Shouting Into the Void 
and I hope the different perspectives will enlighten those who choose to read it. Stay strong, Queens of the Leguminati. I love it. I love any kind of panel or blog or podcast that has a diverse group of people that can talk about things from their own personal lived experiences. That is the storytelling. That is what we all need to be doing. Uh, I absolutely love that idea, Dwayne. Thank you. Next up from Jenny, pronouns she and her. Hey, ladies, longtime listener from the Kitchen Table Days, first time submitter. Had to share the best news about my beautiful wife. After two long and humiliating years, she finally won her disability hearing. Helen is the most wonderful person who's been suffering with GI issues, rheumatoid arthritis, degenerative disc disease, to the point where she couldn't hold a job any longer. She was the hardest worker for the past 30 years before this, so her heart was broken when she knew she could no longer work. We've been struggling financially, and now we will finally be able to get ourselves straightened out. Shout out to my B for being an example of perseverance and faith. I could go on and on about her, but I'll wrap it up. Here are some pics of us and a couple of our pod pets. Love you guys. You guys are so cute. Absolutely. Congratulations on that hearing. That is such a hard thing to go through. Uh, And it's and it's so like victim shamey. I remember trying to get my disability and they're like, oh, are you sure? Can't you work and all this other stuff? And and it's just like, that's what I that's all I want to do, you know, is work. I know. Um, so that's so brave and so amazing. Look at this incredible chonker cat. It, I mean, just chilling, just hanging. And the dog is beautiful too. It's a beautiful family. <laughs> I know. Look at the puppers. And I love your hats, by the way, your little caps. And, I know, they're caps. Oh, they're little caps. You guys are beautiful. Thank you so much for these submissions. Uh, this, this was a wonderful day of submissions of just... You know, I don't know, solidarity and diversity and amazingness from our incredible listeners. I love this community so much. Keep sending your stuff into us at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. That's how you submit to the good news. Uh, Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? I do. It's Groundhog's Day, so we all know what that means. If Trump uh, admits to another crime on Truth Social, there's going to be six more weeks of winter. So we're going to find oh. out tomorrow. There's going to be six more weeks of a special counsel investigation. Yes, and uh, I shall be tweeting. Yeah, I mean, I remember we used to joke about, you know, we, there would be memes about Robert Mueller, like, could you stop criming so I can finish my fucking report? You know? Yep. <laughs> nope. And nope, he can't. Um, I'd love to see it. Just conf- confessing it out there for all the world to see. And we just got a little bit of news and we're going to go over this story tomorrow, Dana. Hunter Biden's lawyers have written to the National Security Division at the Department of Justice and the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office asking for criminal investigations into Trump and his allies for uh, stealing shit off his laptop and kind of forging stuff. Awesome. And and, uh, yeah, so... We'll see where that goes. We'll give you the full story tomorrow on The Beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take someone with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.